Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Lindsay Maxwell from Philadelphia, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and thank you to Lindsay Maxwell there that you heard in our intro. She's in Philadelphia or the streets of Philadelphia, as uh, Matt replied when I asked him to remind me where Lindsay was from. A uh, little, little Bruce reference. Um, so thank you, Lindsay. Hello. Philadelphia's in um, Pennsylvania, isn't it? Swing state. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do get out and vote if you are in Pennsylvania or anywhere else in the United States of America. Um, and don't adjust the device that you're listening to when you hear us start to talk about Alexander Zverev winning a title in Cologne. Yes, it is the exact same chat that we had this time last week uh, because tennis has reached new levels of weird and we will be having uh, that same conversation again at some stage today, just to warn you. Things are weird, aren't they, David? Yeah, they are. They are. Um, and if if they're not duplicating themselves, they're adding exclamation marks after themselves um, and having dogs and bands and, yeah, basically what we had last week, really. <laughs> Don't lump the exclamation marks in with the dogs and the bands, David. <laughs> it also looks like the exact same trophy in Cologne too. Honestly, it's like a spot the difference photo between Cologne one and Cologne two. Zverev's holding the exact same hey, trophy. Hey Sasha, you know that trophy we gave you last week? <laughs> Where did you put that? Bring it with you to is the it, final, won't you? Is it is it at hand? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be needing that. Um so, yeah, those are things that have happened this week. Cologne, again, Zverev, again. We'll come on to talk about that. But I think we should probably start off by talking about Estrava. And I feel like I have to shout it because of all the exclamation marks. I need to turn um, down my earphones. <laughs> and it's, it's, really, it's, it's, it's really affected my viewership of Estrava this week, the volume of exclamation marks, because I feel like somebody's shouting at me. Uh, when I watch the screen, which is not necessarily what I want. Arena uh, Sabalenka won the title. She did the singles, doubles, double. She also won the doubles title alongside partner uh, Elise Mertens. They're a great doubles partnership. She beat Victoria Azarenka in the final, fairly one-sided final for 
for a number of reasons, which we will come on to talk about. She was six love, four love down, David, in the quarterfinals. Mm. Sabalenka yeah. to Sara Saribes-Tormo. Yeah. Six love, four love. Uh, I mean, I know this can happen with Arena Sabalenka, but yes. I mean, <laughs> she does... She. she she is just who she is, isn't she? She does revert to type incredibly. She is the absolute extreme of that all or nothing type of player. Mm. She, I mean, she's a predictions nightmare. And I've got a few of those. But I mean, she's <laughs> the worst of the lot in a way because you can't put your house on what you're going to get. You just, from her performance wise, there are some players that will produce a certain level most weeks. She is just not like that. And although the last two years at this time of year, she's just been incredible. If you think of the way she won Wuhan last year, the last two years, nobody getting anywhere near her. But in this tournament, that was not her. This was not Arena Sabalenka just thrashing her way through the draw like she's done in the past. I don't know whether you you look at it and you think, well, this is growth. This is Arena Sabalenka learning to win when she's not playing well, or more that it's just that veering of of levels within matches from one extreme to the other. And that's certainly what I witnessed because I, I turned on to see most of her match, the, the one previous to the one you just described, she played Coco Goff. And I was really interested to see this match from, for a number of reasons. One, because Goff had qualified to get into the tournament. And I thought the fact that she's qualified through those rounds that's a good sign for Goff having had a few rough weeks. And I thought, I want to see what the tennis is like, whether the double faults are happening. And I think any time you put a player like Goff up against Sabalenka, you're going to get fireworks. It's going to be interesting. And they had, I think the tournament you presented for Amazon Prime, Catherine, was was Lexington. I think they had a, a real battle there, as, as I recall it. But this was not a battle at all. This was Coco Goff just dismantling a wayward arena Sabalenka, who was nowhere near. You know, the first set was 6-1, 20 minutes. Sabalenka was... It was I, I was watching it and I was thinking, I find this unprofessional. The level of tennis she's putting up is, is unprofessional. It's so bad. And, and Coco Goff is playing well. Second set, I don't quite know how it, it turned around, but it did. And Sabalenka played better and won the second set. Third set... I think I'm, I tuned out. I didn't turn it off, but I basically tuned out as Goff got the break with a, a, a lunging lob on the stretch to go something like 5-2 or 5-3 up. And I pretty much just zoned out from the rest of the match. Then I found out that Sabalenka won. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I just don't know how that's possible that she has won that match. Even when she'd won it, no chance she's going to go very far playing like this in this tournament. And then we find out she's six love, four love down in the in the next match. And and then she won the next twelve games of the match to win those two sets, six four, six love. I mean I don't know. I don't I don't know what to make of her really, because by the time she got to the final, and okay, Azarenka didn't look fully fit, but Sabalenka's just destroying her, just dismissing her as if she's nothing. And this is one of the best players of the year so far. And I know she wasn't at her best. But that Sabalenka, when she's absolutely on top form, she's frightening. I mean, she did the same to Jennifer Brady, didn't she, in the semifinals? She she just took her out. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to make of Sabalenka. I can't... I can't figure it out what makes her good and what makes her rubbish because those two extremes can be there in the same match. 
Yeah, I feel like we're in the exact same place that we've been in at the end of the 2018 season and the 2019 season with Arena Sabalenka. She's finished strong, she's won a title, and now we're all just wondering whether she's going to be able to carry any kind of momentum into the new year and whether she's going to be able to replicate her really incredible tour success. I think this was her seventh career title, lots of those at premier events, whether she's going to be able to replicate that at the slams where she's never been beyond round four. So I think as much as she was winning in different ways to how we've seen her winning in the past, I still feel like we're in pretty much exactly the same place with her this was this was a tournament that replaced the asian swing where she's put where she's traditionally had her best results she's had a great result here again but i'm just left wondering okay but what next what else we we kind of know she can do this and i don't feel like there was that much to learn about her um but but what i would say is that i only watched the final i was tracking those scores throughout the week and expecting a roller coaster final i thought she was so so great against azarenka i would only really judge the first set because azarenka was clearly off color in the second set but in the first set i thought she played quite well azarenka and sabalenka just dominated her she hit twice number of winners to unforced errors was just generally brilliant and was producing the kind of tennis well I think when we were all judging Azarenka a few weeks ago, we were pinning Sabalenka as the type of person who feels like the way that the game has moved on since Azarenka was at her best a few years ago, just an upgraded power version of Azarenka. Now, Azarenka's kind of proved us wrong in the last couple of months about about that. But this was power tennis at its absolute best from Sabalenka. She was dominating a very good Victor Azarenka and... It was the, probably the, one of the best sets I've ever seen her play, to be honest. And yet I still don't feel like I can draw any conclusions hmm. from it. Yeah, we, we talk a lot and judge players on their ability to peak at slams. Um, now, Sabalenka is not only, as of yet, failed to master that. She's 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 actually the total opposite. She's peaking it, with all due respect to these events at these points in the calendar, at exactly the wrong moment. <laughs> consistently in terms of having ambitions to win slams because it must be so frustrating to peak at a time when you're just running into a brick wall at full speed she 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 takes the whole year to reach full speed and then there's a brick wall in front of her but i don't i don't feel like we see enough frustration about that fact from her there are certain players over the years that i've been frustrated watching that seem okay Carolina Pliskova being an example, Thomas Burdick to some degree, players that seem okay with, okay, not not doing that well at a Grand Slam, but I did really well the week after. Well, I don't give a, didn't give a stuff about the week after. It's irrelevant, you know, re- to, relative to to the level of tournament. And I think I would like to see more concentration on these big events and finding a way to peak. Is there too much resignation? from Sabalenka about her style of play and the pitfalls of it. We we talked at the French Open, didn't we, about Kvitova and how one of her best assets is how quickly she shrugs off um, errors, mm. blazing errors, because she just accepts that that's her style of play. Is that kind of 
a double-edged sword thing. I mean, I think Kvitova strikes that balance really well. But is Sabalenka too like, oh, well, I'm playing horribly, but that's my style of play. I just accept it. Nothing to panic about or work on here. Could there be an element of of that, a bit of fatalism about her her style? No? Yeah. I, I, th- no, I, think, I, think, I think there could be because... Look, she's no longer with the same coach. She's with a different coaching setup. I'm not exactly sure who who these people are that she's working with now, but I, I, I would like to know what's possible with her if if somebody's gets hold of her mentally and just says, no, no, come on, we're going to map out a real strategy here. And if this happens and if those bullets are not going in, you're going to do this. And I, I, I don't sense there is a lot of that. I don't, I don't know about you, Matt. I just think it's one of the biggest imponderables generally on the WTA tour at the moment that there's there's a group of players in Sabalenka's category, I would say. I would put Svitolina and I would put Pliskova in there. Players who are prolific winners on the tour but haven't been able to translate that to the slams. And I actually think you could look at Sabalenka's losses at the slams and I I think I said this during the French Open, I don't think she's had many bad losses she's just not had good wins and Mm. that feels like the hurdle she needs to overcome but I I don't know whether it's the same problem for every player in terms of not being able to translate tour success to the slams I don't know whether it's because other players peak more at slams or whether the general kind of rhythm of the tournament is different or the fact that the stakes are higher I, I genuinely it could be a combination of all of those kind of things. But I think in, in the men's game, it, it feels slightly more understandable because there's such a point of difference with the slams being best of five. The fact that it's best of three throughout just makes me question it even more. Um, but I don't know, in, in Sabalenka's case, I, I, I think I, I don't think she's quite the same as Kvitova. I think she's more emotional than than Petra Kvitova. I think she gets more frustrated by errors than Kvitova does. And yet the fact that she's had these incredible recoveries in these matches this week would suggest that that's not that much of an issue for her. She can just change her fortunes very quickly in a match. Um, To me, she's the most baffling, bewildering player that there is, I think, on just in in tennis i would say at the moment i just can't can't get to grips with her at all it was um it was an all uh, belarusian final not every day you see one of those literally the first time ever i believe in on the wta tour that that had happened mm i sort of i don't think of those two as being from the same country i've never sort of heard them have you ever seen them in the same room there wasn't ever... a great deal of warmth at no. the, hands, no. the racket tap you know there was there was politeness and there was due respect but there wasn't that feeling of we're mm. compatriots you know there wasn't there wasn't warmth there really there was there was a lack of understanding i mean obviously different eras i understand but there's, there's know, quite a big age it. gap and sabalenka came through when Azarenka wasn't really on the tour, mm. I think. They've never really I mean. trodden I don't, the same I, I, path. I, maybe I've missed it, but I can't think of any quotes where Sabalenka has talked about Azarenka being a mentor and inspiration or any kind of sort of figurehead for her. Um, and I can't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've missed the Azarenka, Sabalenka love-in uh, and apologies to that love-in 
uh, if it happened and I failed to notice it. Uh, in terms of Azarenka, a uh, bit of a talking point from the final. I mean, as you said, as you, I think, as you both said, I don't think, I think she actually played pretty well early on and, and certainly Sabalenka said that was one of the things she was most pleased with in her quotes after the match that she felt she when Sab- when Azarenka was playing well at the start she felt like she really was was dealing with it and, and keeping her head but then it, it became very clear that she was significantly underpowered on the court Azarenka and then um, she takes a medical timeout was it between sets the the medical timeout well, I first noticed that she wasn't feeling well between sets. She looked a bit mm. dazed and almost a bit dizzy between yes. sets. And then I think it was when she was a breakdown, I think at 2-1, I want to say, in the second set where she took the yes. medical timeout. So she she takes the medical timeout and she couldn't overhear everything, but it looked like she was complaining about being as you say, dizzy, fatigued, which she certainly looked on the court by that stage. Um, and I think headachy. And she subsequently had some, she, she actually lay down and had some treatment kind of on her, her lower, um, lower skull and, and the back of her back of her neck. Um, now we don't know exactly what the injury is. I do know that those can be symptoms of COVID-19, some of those, and she wasn't wearing a mask during the medical timeout. I don't know why the first thing that happens in that scenario isn't the medical professionals coming onto court saying you need to put your mask on in order mm. to have a consultation and receive treatment. I don't know whether they have the authority to do that and are not doing it or whether they don't have the authority to do that. But for me, some of the blame lies there. I can understand how, you know, in the heat of competition, it's, I mean, I still don't think it's okay, but I can understand how you could just absentmindedly forget in Victoria Zarenka's position. I Personally, I think you have symptoms of COVID-19 on the court. You, you can't play tennis. That is, uh, that's how I feel about it. But yeah, to see a medical timeout taking place with no mask on. I mean, it's it's not that big an imposition to wear a mask, folks. It's not it's not that much fun, but I don't get it. I, I don't get what's not connecting here about mm. it. To be fair, when she lay down on the on the floor to get the treatment on the back of her neck, she did put a towel over her full face. <laughs> um, so she went from no mask to sort of full face swaddling. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, I was surprised because it felt that, well, isn't that just what happens now? Because we've seen two mm. entire Grand Slams where exactly that happens without fail. So, I mean, okay, you you might get somebody taking, not taking it seriously and kind of half wearing it or something like that, which which we've also commented on. But but in this instance, yeah, it just appeared to be optional, and that I don't I I don't agree with that either. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the one that's out of touch, but I'm surprised more sort of implicated people aren't getting more het up about this. If I was that doctor or physio, I, w- I wouldn't be having that. If I if I was Sabalenka, I'd be asking questions, frankly, because they're both handling the same balls and everything. 
I don't know, maybe maybe I'm just more het off about COVID-19 than uh, everyone else in the world is. Get over it, Catherine. It's only a blooming pandemic. Um, so that no, is I'm with a, you. I, I 100% agree with you. That is a Strava. Um, <laughs> I hope that's the last time I have to shout a Strava at you. Uh, and that is the... No, we've got Lintz. We have Lintz. We have one yeah. more event. We've got Lintz. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how many exclamation marks there will be involved with Lintz, but I'll say it normally for now. We've got one more tournament on the WTA Tour. Pretty jarring, year. isn't it? Yeah. It's When you consider, I mean, look, we, we know the reasons why. Their entire autumn season is in China or is in Asia, and there is no sport happening in that part of the world at the moment. And so the entire circuit has just come to a grinding halt. And meanwhile, the men are going to go to, to Paris and have a Masters 1000 event. They're going to have an ATP finals at the O2 Arena and several other tournaments this week in Vienna. These are good, big tournaments. And it's really sad to see the lack of women's tennis tournaments going on mm. the rest of this year by comparison mm, absolutely um meanwhile on the atp tour events are happening twice just to, <laughs> to, to rub salt into the wta wounds uh, because uh, alexander zverev has won cologne again uh this time he beat diego schwartzman 6261 uh in the final he seemed to me, I didn't see loads of this. I saw some of the matchup against Yannick Sinner because I know you had uh, um, a dog in that fight, David. Um, but he seemed even better in Cologne 2, back with a vengeance, than he did in Cologne 1. Yeah. Well, and, and he specifically referenced feeling a sense of revenge in that Yannick Sinner match. He, he, he actually said in his post-match interview, there was no way I was going to lose again to Yannick Sinner. Of course, <laughs> I love that. I, I kind of like that, of course, referring to mm. the fact that Sinner was the one who beat him at Roland Garros a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then in the final against Schwartzman, which I did watch, he was exceptional. I mean, I kind of go into Zverev matches expecting some kind of drama or lapse that he's going to have. I just, I mean, we've just seen it so often. It's, I'm tuned to think that way but this was a complete departure it was so efficient um i think schwartzman was a bit knackered from playing a three-hour match the night before against auger aliasim but zverev just crushed him as soon as he got the lead he didn't he didn't let schwartzman back in at all and that was a positive sign for him all his usual vulnerabilities were strengths i thought he didn't hit any double faults his forehand was powerful um yeah, it was just a really confident, complete performance. Uh, again, it, it, similar to Sabalenka in that I'm not sure we've learned a great deal from this. Like we know he can win tour events. He's He's been doing that for years. He's great at it. And um, I was encouraged by kind of the way he played, I suppose. But in terms of the actual result at, at this stage in Zverev's career, it's obviously great that he's winning titles. But I think the when we reflect on Zverev's year, the, the kind of way we'll mark his progression is the fact that he did better in the slams than he's ever done before. So um not sure there was too much to learn, but he was um he was impressive and he looks in a good place. He seems to have really 
moved on from the US Open final, which I think was still on his mind quite a lot in Paris. Um, yeah, he's he's looking to have a strong end of the season for sure. Hmm. I mean, in terms of what we learned, yeah, I, I, I don't think I learned anything new. I think it definitely did confirm for me how many of Zverev's issues that we have discussed are fundamentally down to confidence. You know, yeah. when, I, when I see him standing up on the baseline and swatting away that forehand, I think, right, okay, well, <laughs> I mean, that's obviously the thing to do. I mean, it's great. It can look like such a great shot. Um, and I know it seems so obvious to us, but standing two metres behind the baseline and being a six-foot-six-inch counterpuncher is not the way, but it it obviously takes confidence in order to do that. And, you know, becoming the world number one in Cologne um, <laughs> or is, uh, that's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? But, um, you the know, Cologne, it's obviously one and two <laughs> great Cologne. for the confidence. I, was, I was impressed, by the way. I, I, mm. I, I, I'm impressed by his appetite as much as anything. It's not that's not new, but it would be so easy having, as Matt says, had career moments at the Slams this year, uh, and still got enough drive in him at the end of the year after all that's gone on and all the hammering he's taken. A lot of it deservedly off the court. He still comes out. And he wants it. He just wants to compete. He wants to play. He wants to win. And okay, I think he's he's made a lot of detours in his career that I'm quite surprised that we've seen from him. But I like the fact that he just keeps coming back for more after the, the Manorino match on Friday night. I, d- I didn't know how, but he actually managed to lose the second set when he, he was a set and a break up. And it really looked like a straight set's win. I'd, again, I turned off pretty much. <laughs> turned on again at the end of it. And he was saying... They were talking about some kind of injury. I don't know what it was, uh, but he said there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to retire from matches. You know, he was quite bullshit about it, and I, I quite liked. I like his. I like his fight. I like his spirit in that in that way. There's a lot. There's a lot about Zverev that I don't like at times, but there are some things that sometimes make me think, "Yeah, good for you, mate." You know, he's a great dog lover, and uh, yeah, that's good. He had a good vibe going on with Barney. I mean, he'd spent enough time there. You'd expect a, you'd expect a vibe uh, to start up between him and uh, Barney the dog. Barney was asleep for most of the two weeks. <laughs> oh, what they Barney's were feeding the official, those the official dogs. dog, right? Yeah, I want Barney's life. He is asleep on free mattresses, um, occasionally waking up to watch some live tennis. And be involved in the presentation, and that's it. Yeah, stealing the show. Um yeah, Barney a triumph uh, once again, uh, as were the swag. Uh, I mean, this really is just recycling last week's <laughs> chat, but I think the swag were even better at at uh, Cologne 2, the sequel, couple than of people Cologne 1. pulled us up after last week to say that they were playing recognisable bangers. Yes, I listened yeah. out for them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can't say I know because I'm not really up on those things, but I have to take their uh, word for it. Well, I don't know if you, this will be audio audible, but I checked up on this uh, before recording, and I, I, I'm, yeah, I can, I can, I can I play a little bit of them them playing a banger. Sure, go for it. Sing it back, sing it back, sing it back, sing it back, 
I mean, I do actually hate that song, but you know, it is a, <laughs> it is a recognizable banger. Um, yeah, they were great, weren't they? They really seized their moment. Have the swag. Good for them. Twice. Two, Two moments. Twice. <laughs> When's now Cologne have to wait three? <laughs> Fifty weeks for uh, for Cologne three. How rare is it for uh, for a sequel to be better than the original? And do we uh, do we think that Cologne have achieved that? Because not many examples of that. Toy Story two, maybe. Um, Shrek the, some two. Some would say The Godfather two. Shrek two, Forever After. Interesting. I don't, I don't think it was called. Was it called that? Alien. Wasn't it just Shrek yeah. two. One of them was called Forever After. Shrek two. It was first Cologne one I saw. two better than Cologne one. Yes. And Aliens was better than Aliens, I agree. <laughs> Cologne XXL. <laughs> uh, I'm, run, I'm running out of material. Can you tell? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a Roland Garros light situation again with David. Yeah, David's sitting in the dark. It's all very Groundhog Day here, folks. Should we move on to talk about Antwerp? That was a new I'm- event for this week. I'm using my TV to light myself on this Zoom call, and unfortunately, mm. it doesn't just stay in pause, though I'm trying. And occasionally, it just turns into some adverts that I can't predict what it's going to do. Antwerp. <laughs> Hugo Umber beats uh, Alex de Minor 6-1, in the final. David, I think you watched most of this match, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I, I became quite acquainted with Ugo Umber because I watched the entirety of the semi-final with Dan Evans as well, that he won despite having four match points against him. And he was a set and 6-3 down in that semi-final against, uh, against Evans in the tie-break. Um, and I, I, and I've, I was really impressed with Umber, partly because a year ago he was in the same position pretty much against Sandy Murray in the semi-finals. And he, I think he was, he ended up losing it 6-2 in the third and it was two and a half hours. And, and I kind of thought, not sure, Umber, has he really come on in a year? I'm not, I'm not sure he has. And I certainly don't feel like he's he's entered my consciousness that much over the last 12 months. I mean, I know obviously we haven't had that much tennis, but he, he hasn't, doesn't feel like he's become a factor. But in those two matches, he really showed what he's all about, the the way he stuck in, came up with some flashing winners. I mean, left-hander, he's a real, he's a really talented guy. And against Dimonor, I, I fully expected Dimonor to win that match. And he came out firing Umber, won the first set easily, 6-1. Second set becomes a dogfight. And again, I'm just thinking this is Dimonor's thing right here. I just can't see this going straight sets. And sure enough, Umber just had enough to get over the line and I thought really impressive. Yeah, it was a kind of flawless final from him really. And apparently he's got a brilliant record in finals at all levels. He won Auckland at the start of this year and he went on a run of winning loads of challenger titles about two years ago, I think. And really that was when he had his breakthrough and improved his ranking. And I've kind of always thought that his ceiling would probably be top 30 ish. He's, he's a, he's a good player. He's a crafty player. He's got a, Got a surprising amount of power for his frame, I think. Um, but I mean, he's already close to top thirty, and I and he's still 
very young and he is improving. I actually think his ceiling is probably a little bit higher than that. I think he will have limitations, but I think he could be a top 20 player next year. It feels like he's on that kind of that kind of trajectory at the moment. He's 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 had a lot of solid results this year without doing anything like really spectacular beyond winning those two titles, which is impressive. You know, you think he's got more titles than Shapovalov. He's got more titles than Orger Aliassime. It's 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 a it's quite it's quite a big deal winning multiple titles in a year and mm. uh, especially a shortened year. And I think he's 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 probably slightly better than I'd realised he was. I think in my mind, I I still see him. I think it was last year's French Open where he was wearing knee-high socks and he's got very, very thin legs. And it, I don't know, it, wasn't, it just wasn't a great look. Um, but his actual tennis is really intelligent and crafty. And uh, yeah, he's, he, he's a good player to watch. He was, it was fun matches, I thought, against Evans and Dumanor. Good styles. France on their way to developing a new crop of... Uh... Male players in the top 30 that don't win Grand Slams. <laughs> but who are flamboyant and fun to watch. But who are flamboyant and great to watch. And you're sort of waiting for them to do that next big thing and then mm. they just don't. Maybe, maybe he's the one who will. Maybe. Maybe. That came to mind because Gilles Simon has re- released his autobiography this week. Um, full disclosure, I've got no intention of reading it. Uh, although it probably would be great practice for my French. Uh, but I am enjoying the bits of it that are coming out on Twitter. Because um, he's not, I, I he's would not pulling it, any I, punches, is Gilles. I can't read it because I just can't speak that. <laughs> yeah, David keeps sending us little uh, excerpts and asking us to What's that <laughs> translate, <mean? laughs> translate for him. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. 
Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So there was no Hawkeye in Antwerp this week. Uh, and that, combined with a few other factors, not sure what kind of week David's had, led to David Law getting embroiled in Twitter aggro with Denis Shapovalov. Would you like to fill in the blanks for us, David? Well, well, can I just say, two days before that, we had a lovely meeting in which I remember David specifically saying, oh, I've really enjoyed not being involved in any arguments on Twitter recently. Yeah, he was praising himself for his new mature, you know, mindful attitude towards social media. It was There was much self-congratulations. And then two days later... I can't deny And, and then this. a day after that, David says, I'm having the weekend off. I'm not going to be in touch very much. I'm not going to do much Twitter. <laughs> it's been quite a journey, David. Are you okay, David? Yes. Talk I'm us fi- through I'm it. I'm fine. I'm fine, thanks. I'm fine. Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, Dan Evans and Karen Hatchinov in this, uh, this Hawkeye-free tennis match had a succession of rows with the umpire which were highly entertaining as far as I was concerned. And uh, I don't know, what did you think, Matt? Were you entertained? I was incredibly entertained, yes. And Yes. I mean, I must say the umpiring was at times very questionable. Mm. I felt like he sort of gave up halfway through and just thought, this isn't my day. (laughs) (laughs) And... and, um, there were lots of dodgy line calls going on, and and, and, uh, and overrules that he didn't need to make, and mm, sort of. I think he was just he was just panicking. By yeah, that, by that point, it had, he knew <laughs> he knew it had all gone to chisel. And I guess yeah. we should say that there was no Hawkeye as a as a cost cutting measure. It was it was mm. it was one of the things that they had to sacrifice in order to be able to run the event. That was that was why there was no Hawkeye this year in. In Antwerp, it was it was deemed a kind of sacrifice that they were willing and having to make just to be able to put on the tournament for these players to play. Mm. And anyway, we we had uh, Hatchinov closing in on victory, playing very well. Evans playing quite well, but just not being able to keep up with Hatchinov. And then the aggro started, and the uh, the line calls call started, and Hatchinov smashed his racket against the umpire's chair and kicked the advertising board on the on the net, which both amused me greatly, um, and then just walked off the court to go to the loo. And the umpire just scolded him and brought him back, which I thought, oh, he's going to get ticked off for having a, having a throw of his tantrum, you know. And no, no, you've just got to ask if you want to go to the toilet, Karen, he said to him. <laughs> uh, so he brought him all the way back to say that. So that was funny as well. Um, anyway, Tennis TV on Twitter, which does like to make the most of these moments, decided to highlight this uh, this outburst from, from a player who you just don't get this sort of thing from at all, which I loved. Loved the fact that, that it brought out this other side to Karen Hatchinov. Uh, at which point Denis Shapovalov tweeted and bear in mind he's had his say about Hawkeye or lack thereof recently he tweeted clearly we don't need Hawkeye on hard courts either anymore well done once again ATP Tour um, which uh, I decided to reply to him that 
I found it highly entertaining, personally, uh, even though I could understand his frustration as a player. At which point, Twitter erupts and decides to, to come piling in on me um, for daring to suggest that um, that Dennis might not be right or that there might be an alternative viewpoint or, or that I might be daring to say that uh, Hawkeye isn't a 100% good thing. Uh, and Dennis himself said, yes, it's super entertaining when your career or life doesn't get affected. Have you ever experienced what it's like to be cheated on the court? At which point I was going to point out my uh, line call furore with Solihull Simon, but I thought better of it. Um, we were all furiously trying to compose replies to that, which would include lyrics from either Night Train and or Drip. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, the lyrics are not available on the internet, so discovering no, them meant having nobody, to listen to the tracks, and it then just became a nobody's far less transcribed fun the lyrics mm. on Tune Find. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sure that's coming. So, uh, yes, at at this point, I started to think, I really kind of regret getting involved in this because uh, uh, lots of people had lots of things to say about me. Uh, I'm a clown, apparently. Um, uh, Many, many others uh, that uh, that I discovered that I am as a result of expressing a viewpoint of enjoying this moment. All of my ghost accounts coming in handy. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not, David. I was cheering you on. Yes. Thanks for intervening. <laughs> right. That's what you'd have wanted, is it? <laughs> Dragging me into your quagmire. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Were you mm. hoping for so, backup? I thought it was a possibility. No. <laughs> oh, this is this has taken a turn that was not in our agenda. Um, no, I really wasn't. I really wasn't. I'd made, I'd made my own bed by that point and I decided to try and fight my way out of it. So... To be clear, your point of view, David, is that the sacrifice – I think there's kind of two points here. There's kind of the um, lack of perspective, I think, of of just trashing the, the tournament or the ATP for not having Hawkeye at that event when, as you said, Matt, the reasons for it were completely legitimate um, and, you know, we should all – make accommodations for that in these extraordinary times. That's kind of one issue, which I think we we probably all feel similarly on. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I, th- sure, I think it's, yeah. It, it's, it is typical, really, of, I think, tennis players just not thinking about what goes into to putting all this stuff on. It's not free. I, I mean, that really wasn't the the crux of my argument. Mine no, was so, more, mine so was beca- one of entertainment. Yeah, we're coming on to that. So so your wider point, Re Hawkeye, is you would rather sacrifice the increased accuracy or consistency in order to to gain entertainment value. Would that be correct? I I don't feel that I would completely abolish Hawkeye, no. No. But but I definitely feel that something has been lost by having it. And I know that when they run out of challenges, I love it. I love what might happen and how tense it might get. And okay, this was just a a one-off there's a couple of tournaments a year when you don't have hawkeye at all and i must say i love it i do enjoy the 
the potential for people getting upset at moments and having a row on the court. It is fun. And I mean, there's no question about it. Those moments would have been the the most watched moments of that tournament week. Now, I don't necessarily think that in itself is always going to be the barometer of what is good and what is not good, because I do love the sport. I do love the sport for the sport. But equally, it was a lot of fun. So, you know, let's also bear that in mind before we start saying that everything must be automated. Yeah, that that point you made about tennis TV immediately clipping it up, I think they do a kind of brilliant job, really, on their social media channels of promoting men's tennis. And I just, I had a look at their Instagram TV videos. Of their five most recent ones, the three with the highest views have either got controversy or drama in the title. You know, they've got Flawless Sverev Tennis with 237,000 views, then the Evans Hatchinov drama's got 438,000 views. So a, a significant amount more. Then you've got Gasquet de Menor, Brilliant Shots, a similar number to the Zverev highlights. Then there was some doubles drama in St. Petersburg, which got over 400,000 views. And then there was another one, Bizarre Controversy in St. Petersburg, with almost 500,000 views. So what was that? Not entirely I'm sure. I'm, I'm trying to figure out who the player is in the uh, thumbnail. I can't tell who it is. Um, I think it there is a translation between kind of drama and more eyeballs on tennis and those moments getting people interested. And I'll be honest, I've never... This is going to be the kind of thing that you don't like me for saying. I've never really thought about not having Hawkeye because I've just always known Hawkeye. Like, And I think perhaps... It is a bit of a generational thing. Like, I, I, I wonder whether Denis Shapovalov is a, a similar age to me. He's he's kind of always known it as well. I know Federer has talked about not always liking Hawkeye. I think that can come into this discussion a little bit, what you've known. Um, but ultimately, I think a, a player is going to have a very different viewpoint to kind of anyone else, I think, in this discussion because they're the ones being affected by it on the court but are we short of i mean i am absolutely not questioning uh the 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 ability of agro and drama to attract eyeballs i'm very much two of those eyeballs but are we lacking in the drama and the agro at events where there's hawkeye i feel like i don't watch hawkeye events and get to the end of them and think Oh, if only that hadn't been Hawkeye, could have had so much more drama mm. and aggro. I don't know. And then... If you I were to remove the... Nick Kyrgios from most of those events, you'd have an awful lot less, wouldn't you? Fewer. <laughs> Thank you, yes. I, I, I was going to come up with a witty reply, but I couldn't. So all I could do is be a douche and do a grammar correction. Ah, I hate myself. Okay. Um, I, I, th- I, I don't agree with you, David. I don't think. Because, uh, okay, if let's say Hawkeye were 100% accurate. I don't think it's appropriate to just sacrifice consistency, accuracy, and integrity for the sake of entertainment, I find that to be a slippery slope 
to go down. I mean, if entertainment value is prized above all else, then what next? I mean, obviously, if you just had dogs running all over the court, more entertaining, brilliant. You'll get my eyeballs every time. You know, you could make the players go out naked, eyeballs on tennis. You know, obviously, I'm giving extreme examples to illustrate being a bit facetious to illustrate my point. But, you know, I don't think you can prize entertainment value above all else. I do think the waters there are slightly muddied by the fact that Hawkeye is not 100% accurate. Um, And it is often talked about and treated as if it is. Um, That doesn't mean it's not superior to or doesn't, increase the accuracy above and beyond human line calling because it is at least inaccurate in a consistent way. Um, What about all these wasted line uh, Hawkeye challenges? What do you mean? These, oh, I've got three left. I'll just start wasting time by using them up. Does that annoy you that much? Yeah. Yeah, and oh, imagine, okay. imagine, imagine what you would gain if you only had one, and they had to be really Percent? considered about when to use them. One and percent? then an extra one in a tie break. Oh, why? Why would you have an extra one in the well, tie break? Well, they did break? start off with two, didn't they? Yeah, I always thought Give that was better. Mm, I thought two was. Two I thought was better. two was a happy yeah. compromise of. You're going to most of the time get the accurate call. You've got some strategy about when to use the challenges. And it's quite likely that you'll run out. And I agree Mm. that there is something exciting, a a sense of what could happen when you do run out of challenges. I mean, it's always picked up on by commentators when someone has no challenges left. That's it's a significant thing. Um, It can determine sets. I completely agree with you, but I wouldn't completely take it away because i think there's there's got to be no and i know you've said that yeah but that that is my conclusion is not to remove it but just to reduce the challenges so that you have to be very selective and make sure you believe you've got a cause worth fighting for with this with this challenge but that's a slightly different argument or case you're making there than than the previous one which was more aggro, more drama. Well, no, because no? It's, you, you get both as a result of it. You both get a tactical usage of it. You just want to push the players to the edge at I, every I, I want opportunity. Player, yeah, well, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> I, I, I want, to, want them to have to use it because they've seen a clear mistake that they want to correct or because the stakes are now so high in a set that something more or less borderline they're going to roll the dice on. But the, if they get it wrong, they're without. And then the tension ramps up all the more. That that could still very well lead to cases where a significant match is decided by a poor line call. Are, are you okay with that? Are you okay with that sacrifice for entertainment? As long as it's same for both sides of the net, absolutely. As in the same risk of it on both sides yeah. of the net. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're both in, in the same practice. boat. Neither one, neither one of you have got more challenges than the other at the start of the match. It's just part of the match, isn't it? We have that right now. We have that right now. You could have a match decided on uh, a dodgy line call right now. It's just where do you put the, the point at mm-hmm. going mm. with it or not? Unless you go with Hawkeye Live, which 
although it works efficiently for the most part. Um, oh dear, I mean, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I think I think it's it, we definitely lose something. This is not the first time we've had this debate, is it? No. David has found an opportunity <laughs> to subject you all to some archive tennis podcast material. But it's good, though. And by the time I was given the opportunity to protest, David had already gone to the effort of digging it out and clipping it up. So you're going to hear it. I'm going to have to hear it. Here is uh, myself, circa 2014, um, David Law and Andy Roddick discussing Hawkeye at the Royal Albert Hall in December 2014. You had a, a couple of spectacularly <sighs> magnificent rows with umpires in your early years, pre-Hawkeye. Yeah. Now, I remember you being one of the first players who said, Hawkeye's brilliant, mm-hmm. takes all that, all that sure. nonsense out of the game. Do you feel the same now? No, I don't. Um, and, and listen, I'm the first... You view things through a certain lens while you're playing, and it, it you allow yourself to change once you're done. And when I was a player, that pissed me off how people would flip flop. But um, you know, '06, I was purely thinking about I wanted to get it right. I remember um, an example of mine is the '01 U.S. Open when I got a really bad call against Leighton, and that I think that had ramifications for the entire tournament. Um, he go, he went on to win. I you know I was I was playing great going in, didn't didn't get it, so I didn't ever want to finish a tournament. No, thinking that a call may or may not have affected um, the outcome um, on a bigger scale, the entire business of tennis is eyeballs on TV sets. And if someone's arguing with a referee loudly and aggressively, the eyeballs will remain on the TV set. And I think Hawkeye has actually taken taken away uh, a little bit of that personality um, in tennis. So I completely get that the players want it. I think it works great. I think it is. It, it, it's it's been a success as far as serving its purpose, and I would get rid of it. <laughs> right, Catherine. Andy and I are in agreement. We want to get rid of Hawkeye. How do we sort this out? You know, people. Do I get the deciding vote? Yeah. The You've pe- got to sort it out. You're yeah. responsible now. A lot of pressure. Well, I'm in favour of it. In general, I'm quite sway. I'm quite swayed by your argument. I think there is generally quite a sterilisation of sport, but I think if you take that argument to its logical conclusion, then you know you look at football, soccer in in this country. There's such a strong argument that that the rows with umpires or referees in football it's it can be it can be quite uncomfortable. It's not a good advert for the sport. You could you could eliminate that with with a, to a certain extent with video replays. I think. I think I think on balance it's a positive thing. I do think there's a certain element of the novelty having worn off with Hawkeye. You know, at the time it was exciting and what you lost in personality you gained in the novelty of Hawkeye. That's gone now. I think I have a I think we can meet in the middle here. Let's let's just cut it down to 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 one challenge for a match. And if you get it wrong you're out of challenges. I'm out for that. I'll go for as that. long as you get them right, you can keep it rolling. But you have to be pretty. And, and I was guilty of it too. If you're if you're thirty forty on someone's serve and you know they hit a good shot, you still you still review it. It wastes a lot of time. We know we can get away with it. We have three. When are you ever gonna you know guess three? The only reason you use three is because you can. You know, and so maybe you have one at the beginning of a match, and that's it for the entire match. So you know, as long as you save it, you can't complain about a bad call because that means you misused your your challenges somewhere along the line. 
Don't, don't you think to a certain extent, if you're the sort of guy that argues with an umpire, you're going to find a way. You know, John McEnroe finds a way to argue over a line call. Oh, no, come on. There would not have been. You cannot be serious with Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's two things there. When you're, when you're arguing without proof, an argument can take longer. They, they're, they're not going to give you a time violation when it's basically you have an opinion. But if your opinion is, has just been proven on a massive board for the entire arena to see... I don't think the umpire is going to have a hard time giving you time violation, point penalties, and, and, and they'd probably be right in, in that judgment. But I think we've agreed. One challenge it is, then. I like it. Right, okay, that's sold. Absolute stitch-up, that was. Why? One, because I clearly do did not remember that in 2014 I agreed to your one-challenge per set proposal or Andy Roddick's one-challenge per set proposal that you've evidently stolen from him per match and two one per match is that yeah, what they were that's what Roddick was saying hmm. and two stitched me right up on the VAR front haven't you <laughs> me well, saying oh there's a really strong case for VAR being brilliant in football yeah that's age, aged well isn't it no, I bet there is they've just they just run it terribly don't they mm. I mean you know I, I think like I say, I, I think that they should have a challenge system in in football and soccer as well. Mm. Okay. So it's it's all about tweaking around the edges. We're, we're all still fine with Hawkeye and VAR. Uh, in print, why have I widened it out to VAR? Um, <laughs> in principle, it, we're all just about finessing the application around the edges. Yeah, I think so. Can I just say there's there's a... There's an irony that we haven't talked about yet. The fact that this all came up in the week when Denis Shapovalov himself had a problem with the electronic line calling in his match in Cologne too, <laughs> he, where he, he thought it was wrong and he was arguing with it. And of course, there was nothing they could do because they don't have line judges and they were going with the technology so that kind of but goes back to your I mean. point about you, you'll, even, you'll find a way yeah even with technology there will still be aggro there will still be drama i guess it's just how do you create the perfect balance of making sure there's enough of that while also recognizing that most of the drama and entertainment should come from the sport itself and most often it does and i think with the discussion we're kind of assuming that the all aggro and drama that we're encouraging here is the Dan Evans style, like good natured, a little bit funny aggro and drama. But there is sort of a slightly more sinister underbelly to it all, isn't there? I mean, it's not just a blanket. Any and all umpire based aggro should be encouraged and, and promoted. Hmm. No, I agree. I mean, it, it, it can turn for the worst absolutely i just feel that there is room for more in the game than there is and i and i think just just saying let's have everything perfect and let's have everything automated what's next automated tennis players no we don't want that we want people we want humans we want personality at one end of the spectrum, we've got automated robot tennis players. At the other, we've got naked tennis players with dogs exactly. running around. <laughs> let's Pole meet in the, let's... naked tennis players with dogs running around. Let's meet in the middle. <laughs> okay, so the middle is two well, per set. One per set for and me, every, please. Everybody clothed. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
In other tennis news this week. Oh, should we cover should we cover Milos Raonic, my pick for the title? Let me go. Injured, down. wasn't he? Yeah, he uh he had to ret- or actually hand the walk over to Grigor Dimitrov ahead of their quarterfinal match and uh, Enrico Riva on Twitter who's um a stats guy uh, that I've worked with a bit at Amazon, he's a good follow on Twitter, says that that moves Milos Raonic into joint third on the men's walkover list, which is just not a list you want to be on, is it? No. Poor old Milos. But it, but it did make me want to find out who else was on the list. And, uh, and so I, I asked him and he said that Connors has 18 walkovers, Cole Schreiber 12, and then Becker and Raonic equal on 11. I also wanted to know what about retirements mid-match? Where, who was the top of that list? And I was quite surprised to find that Tommy Haas has 24 retirements on the men's side. This is in the mat, in matches, um, equal with Janko Tipsarevic. Uh, and then there's Paul-Henri Mathieu and Marcus Bagdatis on 23 and Nikolai Davidenko on 22 in retiring mid-match. I don't know. I just I'm quite surprised at some of those names. Really, I I think Haas has had a lot of a lot of injuries when you think of his career as a whole. But I think, um, I'm I think still you surprised. kind of need to know number of matches per retirement, don't you? Mm, yeah, to true. be able to make sense full sense well, of his stats. I mean, Jimmy Connors Haas played has had a long career and played Jimmy for four hundred years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but an interesting one and interesting that um, Enrico's sort of keeping track of that. Um, we had a, another kind of retirement. We had Julia Gerges, Julia Gerges announcing her retirement from the sport. Um, bit of a bit of a surprise to me, that one. Didn't see it coming. I mean, I, I guess not in the wider sense that I suppose this year was always going to to prompt reflection and and decisions like this but I didn't have her in that category of sort of really faded force um I mean I mean obviously it was a few years ago that she hit her hit her real peak she reached the top 10 didn't she Wimbledon semi-final but but still um bit of a surprise I I do wonder whether this is something we're going to see more of with the coronavirus and its impact is whether players really want to put themselves through this type of career when they've already had maybe had their best years, she's 31, um, and the prospects of playing tennis on the circuit involve quarantines and testing and, and you know, living a, a very, very isolated life at a tennis tournament. And, you know, maybe when you've made a good amount of money, maybe that just isn't for you anymore. I, I haven't heard that from her, but I could imagine that being a factor for players as time goes on. Mm. Absolutely, we've had um, we've had Luca Puy announcing his split from coach Amelie Moresmo, who's worked with for a couple of years. Obviously, they had their greatest success very early in that partnership when Puy reached that Australian Open semi final um, nearly two years ago. Now, I have to say, when I saw the news of, of that retirement, my initial reaction was, "Wow, remember Luca Puy." Um, because he hasn't been a, a relevant force in in the game for for so long, um, which is a shame, really. Because I, I remember that twenty sixteen match he played against Nadal, 
uh, the US Open so clearly. Uh, I sat and watched it in the photographer's pit, you know, just feet away from the players. And it was electric. I know that was a slightly depleted Rafael Nadal, but still he he lit up the Arthur Ashe Stadium that day. And I, I can think of so few moments when that's occurred since. I mean, there's still time. He's still he's still young. But um, yeah, it's a shame that that was my initial reaction to that um, that announcement. I mean, he can't even get on the court at the moment. I don't think he's played on the tour for 12 months. I think he might have played one challenger earlier this year, but he's just been injury ridden for well, a year now, which is a real shame. As you said, someone who kind of should be really hitting their prime, I think. Um, he's just a player a little bit in the wilderness and maybe mm. it's, it's a shame that partnership has ended, but maybe that's just him thinking I need a complete, change of everything and I need to kind of just start again totally and you know kind of good luck to him next year because he's an exciting player when he's Mm. when he's playing well certainly is um we have also had the news that Anki Othavong will be joining the Wimbledon board um that follows on from quite a pointed Instagram post from Andy Murray um responding to a really interesting piece with um former Wimbledon finalist Malavai Washington in the Times. And he was, I mean, he was talking about a lot of things. I would certainly encourage you to to read that article. But he in particular t- talked about the lack of diversity in positions of power in, in sports um, and in tennis. And as I say, that was something that Andy Murray very much, much picked up upon. Um, and Anne will be the first BAME um, member of Wimbledon's main board, um, which is extraordinary, really, if perhaps not un- unsurprising. Um, but regardless of the representation of diversity, which I see as a great thing in and of itself, I think she will be fantastic in that position. She's she's great, and she's she's great at a number of different things, and she's sort of really, really, she's got a nice manner about her, but pretty no nonsense. When yeah. it comes comes to it, a really nice balance of those two things. So that was my that experience seems- commentating with her for several years, and I know you you ended up presenting TV with her as one of the pundits during the U.S. Open, Catherine for Amazon Prime, and uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's that she's got a very clear idea in her own mind as to as to how things could and should be, um, and isn't afraid to just say it, um, and that's that's invaluable, I think, as well. That finally there is that diversity of representation and somebody who's just of an age and of an ex- a recent experience to just be able to just let people have that view mm. and uh, just a final point of order to end on a, a communication we've had from rose o'day which is a, a great name i hope i'm pronouncing that right um picking up on something we talked about in last week's podcast, she said, Hi, all. I just wanted to slightly amend something said on the recent episode when discussing Daria Gavrilova's hotel quarantine. Tennis professionals are receiving special treatment by the Australian government by being allowed to leave the country at all. Most requests for travel, travel ban exemptions are denied. I've been wondering what the community's sentiment will be if and when hundreds of tennis professionals are permitted to enter the country, while many Australians remain indefinitely separated from their loved ones. 
um, which is a very, very good and interesting point. I, I know there was um, the announcement today that Victoria is coming out of full lockdown as of Wednesday. That doesn't mean returning to normality, um, but certainly it, it's it's being the restrictions are being eased. But um, yeah, it's a very important important point, and it certainly is going to be interesting isn't it i mean they mm. they've been so well certainly the perception from from the outside is that they've been extremely united as a as a country australia um in terms of the restrictions that that they've Im- imposed um but my experience being in the uk is that as things ease and in some ways get easier but in other ways get harder because they get a bit messier and areas get greyer that's when the that's when the divisions arise and maybe there could be some unrest and resentment about you know welcoming thousands of sports people and their entourages into the country it is going to be interesting how they manage all of that the australian open isn't it um mm. but that will all unfold in the fullness of time um yeah, it yeah. A- any other business anyone? No. You you're still annoyed with me for correcting your grammar, aren't you David? It's all is there's been a tension. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's just the gloves are off now. So anytime I get any opportunity. Oh, I wish I hadn't. I really did, but I couldn't think of anything witty or interesting to say, so I reverted to being a bore. I apologize. I am. I've been thinking about it every <laughs> every every minute since it happened. <laughs> right on that just, lovely just, note, Matt. Just wondering what happens when we stop stop recording. That's always an awkward moment. We we discuss exactly what bit to edit out, Matt. Yes. Um, okay. Can I give some shout, shout outs? outs? Yes, yes, please. And apologies in advance if. I'm not pronouncing any of these correctly, but the first one is to Paula Rory. Hello, Paula. To Tristan Bulas. Hello, Tristan. Oh, Tristan. Tristan's been in touch with us before. Yes, Always he's a regular. Nice. Yes, I believe he's in Melbourne, actually, as well. So. Oh, hello, Tristan. Mm. And to Benga Adelkan. Hello, Benga. Benga. Hooray! Thanks for thanks for backing us. Thanks to all all three of you for backing us, and everybody who has as well. It's uh, it really is appreciated. Absolutely, very well said, David. I'm I'm being obsequious now because I feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to be back uh, with another. You said you loved agro at any cost, David. I do. I'm I mean, just I'm, playing I'm by your a, rules. I'm having a whale of a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be back with another one of these in three days' time, aren't we? Yeah. We had a meeting last week, didn't we? Mm, we did. We've got plans. Got plans. Uh, they include doing a bi-weekly podcast throughout November, uh, daily podcasts throughout... No, bi-weekly podcasts uh, from now on until the O2, uh, daily podcasts throughout the ATP finals at the O2, and at least weekly pod- podcasts throughout December. We don't intend to have a hiatus uh, as we usually do or certainly we only have a short one but yeah we're not going anywhere folks you can't get rid of us and our pointless aggro so uh, thanks for listening tell your friends leave us an itunes review and we'll see you on thursday
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.